Greetings, friends. Today, I have the tough assignment. CMF cancels the Spain gathering, and all you guys get is this lousy t-shirt. I mean, all you really get is Katie Lyons and Jake and Aaron Moore and me. This series of talks is one way that the folks in the home office thought that we could send some love and some support and some goodness to you wherever you are. It's not Spain. Phew. If I were you, I'd ask for my money back. But we shall do our best. Seriously, I know that your life must be kind of crazy in these crazy times. Mine is. Anybody with kids, it's definitely crazy. There's the whole pandemic thing, of course, with all the issues and the problems that that has been bringing our way. And then, especially here in the United States, there's this huge outcry for justice that was triggered with the killings of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. And it has released a surprising flood of pent-up anger and anxiety that the surprising thing is that it took so long to go global with protests and demonstrations. And now folks are tearing down statues and demanding structural change in the fabric of our society. Wow, it's really an exciting time. Although Katie and I are a distant, distant second prize, we are nonetheless happy to be here with you, virtually, of course, because that seems to be the way that we all seem to spend our days these days. But authentically, we hope. Most of you probably know Katie. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim Ross. I'm a pastor in Tennessee at the Hopwood Christian Church on the campus of Milligan College. I've been there for a long time. I've been there for over 20 years when we returned from two terms of service with CMF, serving among the Maasai of Kenya. In talking over with uh, Jake and, and with Katie, what we might be able to share with you, we decided to develop a series of conversations centered around the gospel lectionary texts from the month of July. If you want to find these lectionary readings, we've created a website that makes daily lectionary readings available to you at orderofthefellowship.com. Several folks from CMF have developed this site to help provide some spiritual formation resources for you. There are some monthly thoughts on the scriptures, and there's also a series of weekly prayer practices and fasting practices as well. We're hoping to build the site with some solid resources of, of teaching and preaching, and, um, and we hope it's good for you, so check it out. The July lectionary readings from the Gospel of Matthew, on which we're going to focus, are threaded together, at least in one way, with agricultural images that run through Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. In this first session, we're going to listen in as Jesus invites his disciples to shoulder what he calls his easy yoke. The second Sunday in July reading that Katie Lines will teach on 
brings news about productive seed and productive soil. And in our third session that I will tackle, um, we'll find Jesus talking about weeds and wheat and harvest. And then the last Sunday reading that uh, Katie will bring home for us is, um, is a big basket of agrarian themes. The small mustard seed that blossoms into something magnificent, a field that contains a hidden treasure, and vivid images of the harvest. In these four sessions that we are preparing, we're going to read these texts and talk about these texts with an eye toward the theme of justice. I don't know what you're thinking these days, and I don't know what you're learning these days about God's call for us to love justice, to hunger for justice, to work for justice in the world. But it is absolutely an important theme in the Word. And it is also a theme that people all around the world are focused on these days. So it seemed like a good topic for all of us to pay more attention to. So this morning, as we get rolling, let's hear first from uh, Aaron Moore, who's going to read our first scripture from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading comes from Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those words sound pretty inviting coming out of Aaron Moore's mouth. How much better they sound coming out of Jesus's heart, straight to tired, anxious, fretful people like us. At first glance, this week's reading from Matthew might seem like a strange passage to use to begin a conversation about justice. Matthew 11 picks up with the news that Jesus is preaching and teaching in some of the bigger towns and cities of his area. And then messengers from the imprisoned John the Baptist show up where Jesus is to ask why, if he's the Messiah, he's not acting like the Messiah should be acting. We can almost read John the Baptist's mind as he's thinking, if he's the Messiah, what am I doing sitting here in a jail cell? We hear the frustration in Jesus' voice as he talks to the crowd about John's true identity. 
And as he fulminates about who ought to be catching on to his kingdom agenda and who isn't catching on to that agenda, then it's like Jesus sort of snaps out of it and sees anew the people who did show up, the people who are listening, the folks who are standing right in front of him. And Jesus has the presence of mind to thank God for their presence. The movers and the shakers might not have shown up. The teachers and the leaders are definitely not on board with what Jesus is about. But God still moves in the lives of common folk. Jesus says to them, come to me, all you who are weary and who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus speaks to those who are burdened and oppressed by the load of rules and religious regulations placed on their shoulders by religious authorities. But these are Jesus' words for you and me as well. For today, now, in today's context, we're all burdened by the weight of the global pandemic. We are all hurt and carrying heavy burdens because of the heavy burdens of injustice that are being borne by our neighbors and family members who are oppressed by racism, poverty, wanton violence in their communities. Jesus invites weary disciples who are in every life situation to come to him, to believe in him, to put their lives under his care. Jesus promised to all bearing burden, all bearing burdens of injustice is this, I will give you rest. I wonder what rest might look like in your context, in your life, in your ministry situation. I've certainly been in your shoes, or at least many of your shoes, and I remember how utterly exhausting your work can be. For me, living in another cultural context was kind of like living in a pressure cooker. I loved it. I wanted to be there. I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me, but the pressure was always on. And that pressure has a long-term effect that wears you down, grinds you down over time. So maybe for some of us, rest looks like, well, rest. Wouldn't that be nice? But there are other kinds of rest as well. There is the rest that comes with resolution. Say the resolution of conflict. There is rest that comes when a hard situation is finally resolved, or at least the pathway to being resolved becomes visible, and our souls take a deep breath, and things are better. 
And that's where I'd like for us to focus our attention today. I think we all realize the deep need in all of our societies for deeper, more real world justice, especially for those who are living on the bottom of the social pyramid. Are you concerned with matters of justice on the streets, in the cities of the United States, or in the neighborhoods where you live? Are you working for justice? There is this strange phenomenon where modern day evangelicals have grown incredibly tone deaf or are kept tone deaf all throughout their lives when it comes to matters of justice. It's a great temptation to simply sleep through the revolution, but I know you don't want to do that, and I don't want to either. Problem? What problem? I'm not a racist, and these problems don't really affect me or my ministry. I think we're all realizing that that kind of attitude just doesn't cut it anymore. It's no good anymore. Are you actively working for justice? Are you concerned with God's justice breaking through in your neighborhood? Justice is absolutely in short supply in all of our cultural contexts. I remember back in Kenya, we had real issues with ethnic competition and strife and hatred. There were 45 or so pretty well-developed ethnic groups in Kenya, and most of them had grown up always in competition with everybody else, and now suddenly they're expected to build a life together, to build a, a nation growing up side by side in peace. Well, there were often flare-ups and sometimes really tough and even deadly violence that broke out. I remember one time there was a, a, a period of uh, incredible political strife when the Maasai were being encouraged somewhat subtly by the government to inflict violence upon their neighbors, the Kikuyu, who were the biggest ethnic group in Kenya. Since the Kikuyu had so many people and so much power, folks from other groups would sort of gang up on them and circle them in and try to keep them, quote, under control. So there was this period of terrible violence when the Maasai were encouraged to burn Kikuyu settlers out and to kill them and to beat them and to chase them out of sections of Maasai land where Kikuyu settlers had come and were living. It was ethnic cleansing, to be clear. Now, there were some points of real light among our Maasai believers. In some cases, our Maasai believers protected some of these vulnerable foreigners who were living in their midst. And in a few cases, some of us missionaries helped out with that as we could. But most of us, to be truthful, just kept our heads down and tried to stay 
out of the fray. We reasoned that we were foreigners too, and this wasn't our fight, and we didn't want to rock the boat, and we didn't want to get tangled up in politics. And as far as I could see, there was only one group of Christians who really got involved in protecting and speaking out for and sheltering people who were under fire. And that was a group of Roman Catholics in Kenya. And I remember reading a story about the things that they were doing and feeling really ashamed that we didn't do more as an organization, that we didn't do more as a national church, that we didn't get as involved as we should have, that we didn't speak up for justice like we should have. I've been reading a book called Becoming a Just Church by a guy named Adam Justine. He writes about the white evangelical church in America when it comes to to justice. And he, he says, we who grew up in the waters of white America are swimming in this poison, the poison of racism the poison of inaction, the poison of blindness, the poison of thinking that our faith is something that happens up here between our ears. And we have become toxic, he says. He says, I've never waved a Confederate flag at a race rally or systemically defrauded the poor, but I have personally participated in and benefited from a cultural way of life that does. Justine referred to his awakening that came, he said, when he heard a sermon by that great saint and scholar Bono in 2006, when Bono said, God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of the mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both of their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. God is with us if we are with them. I don't know about you, but I want to do more than simply wring my hands and write another snarky Facebook post. I want peace. I want justice. I want to live in a more just society. I want to be a part of the solution. So when I hear Jesus say, come to me, learn from me, and I will give you rest, I think, yes, in my world today, it sounds like the only way that can happen is if you teach us, Lord, to love and to walk in the pathway of justice. 
What is the rest that Jesus has promised those who work for justice? Again, Adam Justine says that justice refers to the presence of God's shalom. God's shalom is God's rest. Freely given, a state of living where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Isn't that a beautiful definition of justice? A place, a time, a space where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. God says to all who mourn the unfairness of life, to all who struggle in poverty, to all who fear sending their kids out into the neighborhood, to all who stand shoulder to shoulder with their suffering neighbor, I will give you rest. The rest of Jesus, the rest that Jesus promises, finds all of those missing pieces and binds up and mends all of those broken hearts. Then Jesus said something surprising. Take my yoke upon you. Hold on a minute. Wait just a moment. Didn't Jesus just say that he offered us rest? Now, like a beast of burden, he wants us to shoulder a beam and a plow. He wants us to work in a field. He wants us to pull a wagon. What kind of rest is that? Now, those who have taken on the yoke of Jesus to work in the garden of justice, they know what that rest feels like. They know what that good rest seems like as it wears us down, even as it builds us up. Martin Luther King told a story about a woman named Mother Pollard who participated in the Birmingham bus boycott. And although she was 72 years old, she walked every day to and from her place of work during this bus boycott. And one day Dr. King saw her shuffling along painfully on sore feet to her place of work and his heart went out to her. And Dr. King said that he encouraged her to take the bus, to realize that for the sake of her health, she could, she could just let loose a little bit and she could make life a little bit easier for herself. And so he said to her, Mother Pollard, just take the bus. It's, it's okay, you can do that. And Mother Pollard replied to him, she said, my feet is tired but my soul is rested. I love that line. May that kind of tired, tired rest characterize our work for justice. Yes, it's hard work. Yes, it requires painful soul searching. Absolutely, it requires an attitude and a practice of repentance from each of us. It requires us to turn around and change our complicit ways. But that may be the only pathway 
to bring blessed rest. Learn from me, says Jesus, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another thing about a yoke, this heavy crossbeam is not to be born alone. It is not made for solo work. It spans the shoulders of two working animals. And just so, the work of justice is not something that we do alone, but it is to be undertaken in community. Again, Gustine says that our work for justice is not solo work, but calls for what he calls a vision for discipleship and a formulation that helps people shift from seeing themselves as autonomous individuals, an identity reinforced by nearly every other cultural message to being participants in a people. This is work to be undertaken by a people, not a person. In these troubled days, may our faith communities, our circles of disciples, our mission partners, not seek the rest of ease, of disengagement from the world, of checking out while on furlough, of separating ourselves from the world's problems. But may we seek the shalom rest of Jesus' justice. May we gladly accept the yoke of Jesus' justice onto our backs, adopting the postures of learners and workers rather than the places where we usually land among the privileged teachers. I pray that at the end of the day, our feet may be tired, but our souls may be rested. Let's take these next few days to consider the call of justice on our lives, on our ministries, on our families, on our churches, on our mission team. Say yes to pulling the yoke of Jesus in the garden of God's justice. It is light and easy work that requires all of our energy and all of our attention. It is restful work that just might save our souls and the souls of our nations. Be in peace. May God bless you. Amen. Tim, thank you so much for that sermon from Matthew 11. Uh, we're grateful for you and for your word uh, to us today. Uh, we just had a few questions that we thought uh, would be worth asking as follow-up to your sermon. 
Um, the first one, that as we listened to your sermon, uh, we were thinking about what does Jesus's promise of rest actually look like for you these days? Well, it has been a time of, uh, as I mentioned, craziness and, and fatigue. Um, I think we're all having Zoom fatigue. Any of us who are involved in education as well, or, or mission probably. Um, but it's an exciting time as well. And uh, I got to tell you, when I started seeing young people pouring out in the streets and old people as well, mm. um, it started looking like 1969 again. And uh, mm. it's pretty exciting to me to see people who care, people who are mm. passionate, people who are going somewhere. They're come, you know, I write a lot of sermons and, and uh, I'm always anxious and, and um, until the point in the week where I know that I'm finally going somewhere. Mm. And when I have that kernel of an idea of where this mm. thing is headed, then like all my anxiety just calms down. I feel more rested. And even if I haven't written, written the first word or sentence, I know where I'm going in my mm. heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so this feels a little bit like that. Who knows what, what's going to come, who knows what it's going to look like, but to get sort of the evangelical church and, and to get Christian church people involved, excited, thinking about justice, you know, that, that feels like progress. That feels like, yes, that's a good thing. So, so that, that keeps me going. Yeah. Well, so how are some different ways that in your context, you're plugging in with that restful work of justice. What what are some things that you guys have been doing at Hopwood? Well, I think it's important to talk about posture uh, mm. for starters, and um, and it starts with a posture of of uh, listening and uh, being open to learning, and it absolutely starts with the posture of of uh, accepting hard realities. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is not a time for defensiveness. This is not a time uh, to pump the brakes on on people who have hard things to say to us. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to participate in larger community action without trying to interpose my leadership in Mm -hmm. any way. Um, I think the white church needs to shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so uh, we're absolutely trying to show up and we're trying to be present. Yeah. But, um, but I think we're trying to, to hear and to participate and to listen, first of all. And secondly, uh, I think the big shift that's coming seems to be that for a long time, um, the church thought uh, simply not participating in active racism was enough and that um, we could just go on our quiet lives and, and let let the activists do what the activists are doing. But um, there's been more and more of a, of a push to say, we need to be active anti-racist. We need to wake up every day scheduling in uh, periods of time each day when we can be actively working for the cause of justice in our communities. And racism, of course, is just one 
major issue and problem with which we struggle. But uh, I just ask that question of, of everyone, you know, how, how can we um, schedule in our work for justice to every day, just like we schedule everything else in? Um, so becoming, um, becoming active, becoming implicated by the rest of Jesus uh, to work for the shalom of God's kingdom is, is an important aspect of that. Tim, you mentioned uh, your time uh, living and serving in Kenya, working with the Maasai people, and about the the uh, inter-ethnic uh, strife that was going on between the Maasai and the Kikuyu. And you mentioned posture and following the example of the Roman Catholic Church. I just wondered for our missionaries, for you, what, what would that have looked like in that context of following the posture of the Roman Catholic church, uh, following their example. And maybe what would that look like for our missionaries uh, that are serving around the world? Well, first of all, let me say that I believe CMF missionaries are absolutely involved in the work of justice and goodness um, all over the place in so many different kinds of ways. So, I'm like the last person that's going to say, you know, we're, we're not involved in this. Yeah. Um, however, I'll also say that uh, all of us are blinded by, you know, our, our own cultural biases. Yeah. Um, all of us have been swimming in the soup for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we carry uh, some of that blindness and deafness uh, from, from our society and certainly absolutely from our churches. Um. And so one thing that I would say that it's really important to do is to think about people as whole people and don't just care about their eternal souls. But if you care about their eternal souls, you absolutely ought to care care about the rest of their lives, how their lives are going, that the homes that they're living in, the food that they're eating or not eating, the injustices that are inflicted upon them. Um, Next, I'd say that that this is, as I mentioned, this is community work. This is not something to be done by uh, outside heroes. Um, And so placing ourselves out in the front of a movement is probably not where we need to be, but we absolutely need to uh, create the communities that can build the capacity for change, Mm -hmm. that can ask the big questions, that can seek answers to questions that we don't know yet unless we get together to talk through these things in our local communities. So engaging our churches and our and the Christians who are there and uh, simply working to, to build that capacity. And that's something that's built over time as well. So mm-hmm. something that, that our Roman Catholic friends have been at for quite a while, honestly. And, um, and so, you know, maybe we can't expect it's, it's going to uh, be great overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Tim, for this sermon, uh, this teaching for us and for our missionaries around the world. We're grateful for you, and we're grateful from this word from God uh, from Matthew 11. Uh, we pray blessings on you, and uh, pray that these sermons will go forth and bless our folks uh, over the next couple of days and weeks as they get used to the pressure cooker life, maybe feeling a little bit like a beast of burden, but hopefully find that tired rest uh, that you spoke of. 
Thank you. Thank, uh, thanks, Jake. Thanks, Aaron. I look forward to coming to your place and having some rest someday. <laughs> Sounds good. Peace.